Welcome back. It's Monday, August 8th. This is episode 4 of the Backside Ground Balls podcast. And as you just heard in the open, it was a big weekend for the Mets. They took 4 or 5 from the Atlanta Braves, Trev. <sighs> the Mets just made a statement. Um, they did make a statement. And I think it's only fair. We're going to get into a whole bunch of Mets here tonight. So, any Mets fans listening, you're welcome for this. This is going to be a New York Met-centric pod- podcast tonight, and that's okay. We're going to get into a lot of them because what we saw from them was, like I said, a statement. And you and I should probably eat some crow because you and I sat here, recapped the trade headline, and talked about how the Mets didn't do enough. Yeah. Well, if you watched them this weekend against the Atlanta Braves, the reigning World Series champions... You'd say there's nothing wrong with the New York Mets. They didn't need to do anything. Would you like to start by apologizing? Yeah, I mean, we'll talk about their lineup a little later in the episode. We're going to start with some other things that we want to dive into. But, yeah, I mean, I I still think the Braves are the more talented team. I think the Braves are more talented than they were last year when they won the World Series on paper. Um, I think that team's still getting their footing and, and still getting better by the week, and that's not a team that you're going to want to see in October. But I wouldn't have said that the Mets were going to win four out of five. I really thought the Braves were going to play better baseball. But I think on the whole, and I realized this about midway through Sunday's game, I think we forgot how good Jacob deGrom is. I don't know if we forgot how good Jacob deGrom is. I just think that, again... I'll start by saying this. I'm sorry, Mets, Mets fans. I'm sorry. I was harsh. I took a chance to take some swings. I stand by the fact that they didn't have a good trade deadline. I was clearly wrong that they didn't do enough, apparently. And I still could be wrong. It's August. It's early August. They didn't have a good trade deadline. They didn't. The the moves they made were insignificant. I don't think they made that team better in any way or took a step forward in any way. Like, obviously, like the Padres still had a better trade deadline. The Cardinals still had a better trade deadline. The Yankees still had a better, better trade deadline. But, clearly, they're just a better team than maybe I was giving them credit to still to this point. Um, although, I feel like I've given them plenty of credit. I've said they're the best team in the National League East, although I'm still not sure the Braves might not catch them. Like, I still think a lot of things could happen because I, I do still think the Braves are very good. But this was a statement. This was yeah. the statement that they had. We said it on the last episode that, you know, Either team had a chance to make a statement here. It was a huge statement series, and the Mets made a statement. I mean, they're the front runners now. How could you not say that? And they're a team that can go deep into October. Um, and I was wrong. Hand up. I'll admit <laughs> when I was wrong. I was wrong. Hand up. This is a team that this is a team that's currently constructed that can win a World Series. 100%. And I don't think I forgot how good Degrom was. I was just saying to 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 tote him as your biggest deadline acquisition when you know he only pitches once every five days, and I thought they needed more. I didn't like that strategy. Again, hand up. I was wrong. Good job, Billy Epler. Yeah. Billy Epler's done a lot of good stuff. That And like I said, we're, we're going to talk about the lineup a little bit. Um, I don't know if Billy Epler can see into the future, but Daniel Vogelbach just fits what that Mets team needs. Yep. And it's I. that's going to be a sneaky good pick up there because just a team that needed a guy that doesn't have th- or that has thump, great eye, doesn't chase, gets on base, but kind of your three true outcomes guy per se in a lineup that 
really doesn't have any of them. No. And just None. being able to find a value in that piece, whereas not, you know, not going big game hunting, which I'm sure he would have went and got Soto if he could have, but um, being able to do both, you know, find that right piece and just, I mean, even with the offseason moves. That's they, Well, and that's my point, is that he didn't need to do big game hunting at the deadline because he did such a good job constructing in the winter. And yes. that's good. And, I mean, we're going to dive into the lineup a little bit, as you keep mentioning. But the the reason that they can do what they just did to the Atlanta Braves is because their starting pitching is so good. And you mm-hmm. have the best one-two punch in Major League Baseball. Yes. And I know people want to throw other names out there because it's fun. And it is fun. I like to do it sometimes as well. Because these two guys have been the two most premier pitchers in the league for forever now, it feels like. And so, you know, people want to, you know, come up with a new thing because, you know, the new shiny toy is is always more fun to talk about. And it's fun to speculate. But, I mean, we'll work backwards here. Jacob deGrom yesterday, it's unbelievable. It is truly unbelievable. He's he's started two games now. He went five and two-thirds yesterday. He gave up one hit. It was the home run that knocked him out of the game. You know, two runs. He punched out 12. This guy hadn't pitched he didn't have spring training, really. He hadn't pitched at all in the big leagues. He's made two starts. He's punching out everyone. It's the same guy. Like you, he had shoulder. You know, he had a pretty serious shoulder problem. You know, he was on the shelf at the end of last year. He starts the year on the shelf, and you're like, oh man, this this could go bad. I actually had a friend who texted me in the middle of the year. He said, you know, I have a hot take that Degrom's not gonna ever recover. And, it, you know, it's kind of like, well, why don't we wait and see? <laughs> yeah. And I, I was right on that one because it, he came out and, I mean, you saw it in his, his rehab stint. He's just, he's a unicorn, man. And he is. And he is an, he, they have two unicorns. And the fact that he's just going out there and he's mowing everyone down like nothing happened and there was no injury is exceptional. And that's part of what makes them so good is that, yeah, you you hand the ball to a guy like that every like. There were all there are all stars, and the Braves have a really 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 good lineup, and he's cutting through them <laughs> like it's nothing, man. It's unbelievable. He's made. I mean, Austin Riley is my favorite for NL MVP right now. You watched some of the clips of Austin Riley's at bats yesterday. It's not normal to make guys that good look like that in the box. It's not. No. And, I mean, he even his last start before the injury, I'm pretty sure I could be wrong, was three perfect innings with eight strikeouts against the Cubs. And then he got, uh, my, my shoulder started hurting me. Like, his shoulder hurt him when he had three perfect innings with eight strikeouts. One guy <laughs> put a ball in play and your shoulder was hurting you. Like, but that's, like, I mean, and the reason I said I think we forgot how good he was was because I watched that game on Sunday and as he was pitching it was a clinic like it was just dominance like yes Max Scherzer's great yes you know Corbin Burns yes Carlos Rodon yes Sandy Alcantara but this is the guy right like this is still the guy that those guys are on a level, right? Those guys in that next tier behind him. But he walks out there, and it was just fastball command into a soda can. 
with 102. With spin at 102, and then slider off of it, 96-mile-per-hour slider from a starter, carrying that into the sixth, coming off of a shoulder injury. And no one does that. He's thrown the 12 no. hardest sliders in baseball this year. He's thrown 10 and two-thirds innings. He's thrown the 12 hardest sliders. And DeRose was talking about it a little bit today on MLB Network how, look, you go up there as a hitter, and you can only cover so much velo, right? Which is why people want to freak out about strikeouts in today's game, right? A lot of people want to talk about put the ball in play, put the ball in play, put the ball in play. And I get that. It would be great to cut down on strikeouts. But when guys are throwing harder and harder, you can only cover so much velo, right? And the point he was making was like, 96 looks like a tic-tac coming at you. When it's a fastball, it looks like a tic-tac. Now it's, how am I supposed to see spin with as much depth as he gets when it's a 96-mile-an-hour slider? No one else does it. No one else does it. So they haven't, you haven't seen it before, right? And good luck cranking up the machines to do, you know, to mimic that. You can't. Like, it, it, it's, not, it's almost not possible. I mean, right, because you're not talking about, it's got a little more gyro movement probably than some other people's. But, I, I mean, you're still talking about a 96-mile-an-hour pitch that's dropping almost two inches, right? That's running away from your barrel if you're a right-handed hitter. And, it's, again, it's 96. And then, like you said, it's 102 in a soda can. It's just not It's not possible to be ready for that and to be able to, to time that up. And, like, you know, I think you're right. We, maybe we did forget how good he was because you, you watch it back and you're just mind-blown by it. Mind blown, like it, it is literally like he's pitching to college kids was what it looked like, and he was pitching against the Braves, like Michael Harris Jr. You're cute, you're having a good year. Well, here's 102 on your hands, make you uncomfortable, and I just dotted the inside corner. It's like what, like guys that can't, like even the guys that are those special talents cannot command the way he commands it mm-hmm. is what I think is the most impressive thing because it's free and easy and like I'm looking at his baseball savant page last year before the injury like people don't realize that last year was his bet the best he's ever been ever been yeah at 33 at 33 coming off back-to-back Cy Young's or wait, he had the 2020, he didn't right. win, but back-to-back before that, right. and he was very good in 2020. And when you think that that guy is just hitting his stride and having the best stuff he's ever had, and then he comes back and he's the same guy. Like, he's actually borderline, like, he's the closest thing to unhittable that in the game, like, I mean, we've seen Pete Kershaw, we've seen Verlander after he went to the Astros, we've seen Garrett Cole in those first couple years with the Astros, we've seen Justin Verlander with the Nationals, like, this guy is a step above those stretches, it feels like, right now. Like, watching him pitch is like, it it just feels like the fact that Dansby even got him, I mean, that was the only hit they had all day, it was five and two-thirds with 12 punchies and one walk and a homer, and the fact that they even got him once was a shock. Shock. Well, and, and I mean, he's thrown 130. Like, to just put it into perspective again how good those two pitches are, he's thrown 135 pitches this year, and 126 have been fastball slider. That's like yeah. what relievers do. And again, he's only thrown 10 and two-thirds, but still, he's going through a lineup twice with two pitches. 
they're that good. I don't know if he needs to use those other pitches even more as you keep going. If those two pitches are going to be that dominant, um, and I keep trying to stay away from the word elite because I don't want to say it a million times tonight because you could just yeah. call everything he does elite. But to go through to go through a lineup twice like that, and I think the thing with him that makes him so special too, and like part of the reason why he's able to do what he's done, where he can bounce back from what seems like serious arm injuries and continue to just be this dominant, is the fact that he's such a good athlete, right? Like you look at the yeah. frame, right? It's the perfect pitcher frame, but he was a really people forget he was a really good athlete. Right, he's a shortstop in college. So that athletic ability to be able to, to continue to gather your body, right? Just, when you talk about pitching, like movement is everything. The more efficient you move, you know, the better your command's gonna be, the better your velo is gonna be, the more polished you're gonna be. And that's what you know, when you're when you're athletic, your body's able to gather better and you're a step ahead. And he's just the top of that. Like yeah. People want to say pitchers aren't athletes. Well, this guy's an unbelievable athlete. That's the only reason he can bounce back from this. That's how he can command 102 when guys don't. Because he moves so freaking efficiently because he's so yeah. athletic that he can throw 102 in a soda can. Because when you look at it, right, effortless, effortless cheese, it's like, well, yeah, look at his lower half. Watch his lower half work. Yeah. Well, that, that's that's what I, you know, as you're saying that, I, I do, you know, I'm looking at his average mile, or his average velo in 2019 is 96.9 as a starter, right? Mm-hmm. What, from your perspective, has he changed that last year was 99.2 and this year's 99.4? Like, is it just the fact that he has so little wear and tear on his arm because of how little he pitched as a you know, amateur? Yeah, so I, I think that that number is going to come down a little bit. Not a lot, because if you look at his numbers last year, they're still up in that in that range. I think some of the time off here, I know he's been dealing with injuries, but he's, you know, he's, he's a little more fresh. And also I think, I think he's just continued to learn how to move. And so it's become more efficient. And again, it's it, it, why I think it's so hard sometimes to um, develop and, and do this is because when you think about throwing something hard, right, you think you have to like muster it up and muscle up and tense up and you move violently, right? If you were to tell a, you know, uh, someone who's not an athlete, not a pitcher, and definitely not at the pro level, to like throw something as hard as you can. You see them; they're just gonna they're gonna muscle up, they're gonna tense up, and they're gonna get all wild. Well, look at some of the hardest throwers in the league. The reason it looks like effortless cheese is because they're just moving so efficiently, right? The effortless velo comes from the efficiency. The lower half, they can just move everything from you know they can use the ground to get max power. And it just moves up their chains to where their arm is just fluid. It's a perfect spiral, and it's just fluid. And that thing just snaps out of the hand because of all the energy they're sending into the ground and then back up their body and out, right? Like, bruised our Gratterall is the, like, you know, DeGrom and Gratterall, to me, are like the poster boys for this. Because you watch Gratterall throw, right? And he's massive, so he has so much more force that he can put into the ground. And, like, he, he looks like he's not even trying Gratterall. Mm-hmm. And you, but you watch his lower half, and you're like, oh, that makes sense. Like, you watch his yeah. hips fire. And with DeGrom, I mean, he's, you know, 88th percentile on extension. So now for DeGrom, to be able to use the ground and stay connected for that long to, you know, get the extension that, you know, no one else in the league but 12% of people can get, well, that's how, I mean, that's, there it is. It's effortless. Now it's coming out of that hand, and it's just, I mean, yeah. it's a rocket, right? And, and it's fascinating. And again, I, I yeah. think a little bit of the rest, and you know, not having thrown as much as a, as an amateur, you know, in the, at the college level, and even some of these breaks, and just when you're focusing on rehab, you know, I, when you're that good and you're that 
you know, serious about it like he is and you're that methodical, I'm sure he's taken the rehab that he's done the last couple of years and he's just taking care of his body and, and all that movement stuff to clean up and he's just taking it to a whole other level. I don't know his off-season routine. I don't obviously know what he's been doing in rehab. I don't, I'm not employed by the Mets. Um, so I can't say for sure, but I would imagine that now the details with which he's putting into taking care of his body and and if I can segue this, I think there's also a guy that's sharing the dugout with him now that can probably teach him a thing or two because there's a guy who's 38 years old, Max Scherzer, who pitched, you know, the day before, who's, like, at this point, he's going to pitch until he's 50. Maybe that contract yeah. the Nationals gave him was a good deal and he'll still be good at the end of that contract. Like, right? Like, it just feels that way because you watch Scherzer and it's yeah. the same thing. It's the same thing as DeGrom. This, you know, the velo isn't up there as much, and I think Scherzer's compete level's a little different. They, you know, they, their mindset's just a little bit different. Because you watch DeGrom, he's calm, cool, and collected. And you watch Scherzer, and, like, he's the best competitor, you know, since, like, Pedro and Randy Johnson that I've seen on a mound. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, even having just him to talk to all the time for DeGrom now and, and – pick his brain and watch and learn from even spring training and you know the time DeGrom spent in the dugout with them this year while he was hurt I mean that probably helps a little bit as well yeah I I, I've kind of had this feeling this thought recently over the last couple years but it seems like pitchers nowadays whether it's the information we have whether it's understanding of movement profiles to take a little strain off the arm But pitchers almost seem to be, like everybody talked about that young wave of hitters, right? Hitters, free agencies, by the time they hit free agency, nobody wants them because they're old and and not moving as well. Pitchers are almost the opposite, right? Obviously, there's been some bad long-term contracts that have been given out to pitchers recently, but it's starting to feel like pitchers are starting to learn themselves in their early 30s, late 20s, early 30s, and just hit their peak and their stride early 30s, mid 30s, and even carry it into their late 30s. And re- and they usually struggle in that mid 20s range to kind of learn themselves and find themselves. And I think Scherzer's the perfect example of this, as is Justin Verlander, as is Garrett Cole, obviously, with the information these people have, is just being able to have the longevity and not lose velo and not lose stuff and and it it fascinates me cuz i don't know you know if it is if there is something different obviously the hitters peak early they're out right but what are these pitchers doing differently nowadays that is keeping them i mean the fact that Scherzer's throwing 94 average velo at 38 is is impressive because you know by the time most of these the legends we you know we kind of grew up watching they were not throwing 94 yeah 09 pedro was 88 yeah Right, and he just, I mean, his ball moved so much and he knew how to pitch. So I think it's a combination of a lot of things, and I think you bring up some interesting points. And Zach Wheeler is another example of it, right? Yes. I mean, people were ripping the Phillies for that contract, and it's like, well, I think Zach Wheeler just figured out how to be a big league pitcher. And I think a big reason for a lot of this is, yes, I think the information and how, you know, coaches at the highest level and the training facilities, you know, you talk about driveline, you talk about Eric Cressy, you talk about tread, you talk about, you know, all the other places that these guys go and all the other, you know, and all the really good pitching coaches out there that there are now at the professional level. 
I think that plays a big part of it. We just have, I think there's just more of an understanding of how to take care of your body and how to, how to, how to move, right? And a big thing with it, I think, is understanding how your body changes as you age, right? When you get older and when you put wear and tear on your body, right, you can probably sit here and talk to me right now at 25, 26, however old you are, and you can tell me how your body feels differently than it did when you were 21, right? Well, if you have people who I can put sensors on you and we can get force plate technology and we can constantly assess your body, you know, your movement profiles, as you said, how your body moves, and we can make adjustments to it. And I think that's what, if you watch Justin Verlander, I think he's the biggest one. I think that guy and Scherzer as well, they have just such an understanding now of what their body is doing each year and how it changes that they can make the adjustments mechanically with their lower half, with their routines in the offseason to then create the longevity. Because you're right. I mean, if you go back seven, eight, nine, ten years ago, giving 30-year-old starting pitchers a long-term deal when they hit free agency was a death sentence, right? Mm -hmm. You just weren't going to do it. And think about how many starting pitchers there were back in the the mid to late 2000s, or, yeah, mid to late 2000s and, like, into the early 2010s that, you know, were kind of flashing the pan, guys. Like, think Josh Beckett. How bad was that contract when the Red Sox gave it to him? Think about, you know, a guy like Brandon Webb. You know, you're talking about a guy who won a Cy Young. They didn't age well. I don't think we understood how the body yeah. moved as well. And I think we start. We were they were we were just starting to figure those things out. And now we've gotten to a point where we have so much knowledge on it, right? That's why you see all the guys that throw so hard. I mean, think about it. The college ranks, the velo, right? Ben Joyce throwing 105, 106. That's a, like a world as Chapman was the only person we had ever heard of doing that. Now guys are doing it in college. So I think we've just we've started to understand how people move better, and these pitchers can now make the adjustments as they age, right? And you look at Scherzer, and, and and then lastly to group that in is I think that you know pitching is really hard, and I think that when you it takes a while to learn how to get outs at the big league level because it's not you know if if you're just feasting like some of these college guys are with with just stuff alone, you it doesn't work unless you want to be a, a reliever. And you know how volatile those guys are. You can't rely on stuff alone. So you yeah. see these guys like Scherzer who have been there, done that. They've been through a lineup a million times. They've competed. They've lost. They figured out. Kershaw's another example, right? Just guys with longevity who, like, he knows how to get big league hitters out. He now understands it. It's not just I can yeah. rely on my stuff. I'm that good. Or even just my stuff and my command. Like, I'm now understanding what hitters are doing. And the first guy that I can remember talking about it and doing it is Jamie Moyer. Right? Jamie Moyer, everyone was like, it's it's... He was a unicorn. He was 43, and he was getting out to the big league level. He was contributing to a World Series champion. And if you ever heard him talk, I remember the most specific example he gave is Hanley Ramirez because they were in the same division together. And how he would throw his cut fastball, and he said, I would put it in a spot that was three, four inches off the plate inside. He was never going to keep it fair. Of course he could get barrel to it. It was 84. He couldn't keep it fair. That's a strike for me. Yeah. Right? So... He was like, I was using Hanley Ramirez, who was 21 years old. I was using his aggress- aggressiveness against him. Like, go ahead, swing at this pitch. It's not going to be in the zone. You can't hit a fair ball, and if you do, your, your, your thumbs are bleeding and you're going back to the dugout. So I think a lot, like all of those things, of becoming more mature, the technology and the information we have now that we can make adjustments to our, our movement and how we move on the mound as our body changes and ages is what is, is starting to allow these guys to become, long, you know, allowing to have the longevity. And also, just real quick, to the position player side, you said are flaming out a little earlier. To me, they got to go out there and play 130 times. Oh, yeah. 
Yeah. That's brutal. Like, I don't think people understand. That is brutal. I don't care if there's a lot of standing around in baseball. It's, like, that is brutal on your body. Because mm-hmm. hitters also, they take a million swings. How many of those guys get into get to the field every day at 1.30 during the season for the most part? And they're in the cage and they're tinkering and they're doing that. And that's like, of course their bodies are breaking down. It's hard to yeah. you know keep that longevity. Look at Trout. He's so big and strong. And that's a conversation for a whole other day. But I think that also adds to it. Oh, yeah, of course. And, and I wonder how much, I mean, it's it's been such a, nobody pitches 200 innings nowadays. I wonder how much that's done to it. Like, I would rather watch Max Scherzer pitch until he's 38 at 160 innings a year than watch him flame out at 32 like, say, Tim Lincecum did, right? Well, just I because never he understood, wants to go out there and right. take the ball. And I've never understood that argument. Sorry, I know I just went off for a long time, but I've never understood that argument either because, like, from an organizational perspective, you know, everyone killed the Nationals for the Strasburg thing. And to me, 2019 proved why they did the right thing. Yeah. And, like, they're assets. Max Scherzer is an asset for you, right? He goes out there and he dominates. And like you said, if he gives you 160 innings of Max Scherzer, you're going to take it. If he's doing it into his 40s. Yeah. Or DeGrom, who's, like, continues to get better. Of course you should do that. And, yeah, I think some of it is, too. Like, these guys have gotten so powerful and they're so explosive. Like, I think it's more taxing every start out there. Like, I'm mm-hmm. sorry. Again, Nolan Ryan was unique. There's a reason he's Nolan Ryan. But you look at the other pitchers from his era who were throwing 250 innings. They didn't have any longevity. And they weren't yeah. throwing that hard. Mm-hmm. The strain on their body, they weren't as big and strong. Like, that that matters, too. Because, yeah, the, the more muscle-bound you are, a little, you're going to be a little bit tighter and you're going to be more prone to injury. So, yeah. you should protect that asset. Yeah, and, and I just... I mean, it's it's awesome to see because, like I said, I mean, the Zach Wheeler contract is the one that you bring up. You know, it's just like that guy's aging like fine wine, right? Mm-hmm. And, like, even you see Nola start to learn himself a little bit more now. It's like age as a pitcher with the information we have, hey, we can actually keep your athleticism until you're 36. All you have to do is put it right upstairs and you're going to be good to go. Right, we're never going to lose velo. We're always going to know your movement profiles. We'll always be able to tinker. So even that was always my opinion. Even on the Strasburg deal, was like everybody's like, "Oh, that deal stinks." Whatever, whatever. But like, I was starting to kind of have that opinion that pitchers are kind of aging better. And if Strasburg's body, he can learn it and learn how to keep himself healthy and get 140 innings a year until he's 38, whatever, he would probably be 36 at the end of his contract. Like, that's a good deal, right? And that's what For I sure. always hope, hope, and still hope, Strasburg, because he is one of the, the best pitchers when he's healthy, that, you know, it, he's in this group of talented pitchers that, that we kind of talk about, and people just forget him, because he, and he can't do anything about his injuries. I mean, his body is you know just the way it is for a reason and and nobody's kind of figured that out for years but you know i i just think it's it's really cool to see that pitchers are able to maintain their stuff for such a long time and then you put the mental part that greg maddox the tom glavins of how to command what to throw when to throw it setting guys up with the stuff that guys like jacob Degrom have and you start to have these guys that you're like these guys are unhittable like how do you even get this guy this guy and it's like that's what three true outcome be- baseball becomes because if i'm max scherzer and i get down 2-0 to a really good hitter i'm going 
slider off the plate, slider off the plate, take your walk, I'm going to punch the next guy out. Okay, well, guess what? I get back in the zone with heat, okay, punch you out, or I make a mistake, you had a homer. That's baseball today because they're so good. And tell me if I'm wrong here from an offensive perspective, you got to play for the long ball. You have, you have to. to. You're not going to string three, guys? four. Right, you're going to have to string no. three, four hits together. And no. I'm sorry, even if you say lead off double, great. Hit a ground ball to the right side, great. You got your runner on third, one out. It's not easy against these guys to just, oh, put a ball in play and, and, and get your run in. It's not, you got to play for the long ball. So, again, you have to. To your point, there comes your three true outcomes. And for me, yeah. that is what makes the Mets so, so dangerous. And, um,. Again, DeRosa made this comp. I don't want to act like it came straight from me. I just it was like, so wild. It's so spot on. Johnson and Schilling with the Diamondbacks in 01. Yeah. Right? It was like, you better you better find a way to win a game that they're not pitching in. Now, I don't know with these two, because they've both been banged up this year, we'll see when we get to October if they'll be able to pitch on short rest like Johnson and Schilling were doing, who were basically like, it was crazy. They were pitching every other night, it felt like. Mm-hmm. But... Think about it. If you get into a short series in the division series, right, a best of five, that's two games. Now you're yeah. now you're facing elimination before you can even get a chance. And it's not yeah. like the other guys on that staff are, are bad. So mm-hmm. for me, it's like this is what makes the Mets so dangerous. Like for me, it's almost like pencil them into the NLCS. Seriously, yeah, you unless a team seven game right. A, 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 Unless a team catches lightning in a bottle and can and beat one of them in a division series, but they're both probably pitching at home. Mm-hmm. That, that this is what makes them so legit. And then to segue, and this is a guy that you've been you know standing up for for a couple years now, years because you know more Mets fans than I do, so I'm had to defend him as much. But we fall on the now, same side. Now I like, associate okay. with more Mets fans oh, than you do. Right. Okay. Right. Exactly. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Degrom. Gives you seven, and you're down one nothing. Well, I'm gonna turn it, you know buckets to turn and hand the ball to Edwin Diaz, who has been the best pitcher in baseball this year. Yeah, yeah. No, he's been, he's, be- he's been the he, best pitcher yeah. in baseball. Yeah, and he's dominant, and he's striking out fifty two percent of the batters he faces. Say that again. Fifty two percent of the batters he faces. Batters he faces, not outs he records. Batters he faces. He's averaging two strikeouts an inning. Two. A little more than two. That is absurd. That mean, he, And he, this is a guy that throws him like one inning stints. Two batters he faces. That means the Mets got to field the ball once when he's on the mound. Yeah. Why do you even need a defense? You don't. You don't. Law of averages would say he'd probably give up a couple of hits, but then you, you'd probably just punch the last guy out before they score. Yeah, and he's not his average exit velocity this year, which I know this has been the the thing about Edwin Diaz is he gave up a couple long balls here and there. 83.8 average exit velocity this year. That so even like you could play with four players in the field and 83.8. It's not like anybody's getting a double or a homer. Oh, no. and, nobody's and getting think- a lick off him. And this is another great case of a guy who's just coming into his age, right? Like, the stuff has always been there. The stuff has been electric. The stuff hasn't gotten better. Newsflash. Go look at his baseball savant page. The, the stuff really hasn't gotten that much better. I think he's moving better. I think he's more confident. And I think yes. he's understanding how to harness it. Because you remember, he had that all-star season in Seattle where he was lights out. 
This guy's been there the entire time. It's not like he all of a sudden found it. Sure, he gave up, again, he gave up the Lombard. I don't think he was comfortable when he came over to the Mets. And that's that happens, right? We just saw it play out on the other side of the city with Joey Gallo. Edwin Diaz came over from Seattle, and he got thrown into this, you know, the Mets were toxic. When he got there, it's not like the Mets, like he was the reason they were No, there were so many issues with that team. Mm-hmm. Now he's comfortable. Now I think he understands how he's harnessed that stuff a little bit. The stuff is still dominant, and now he's putting it together. And shoot, this weekend, they give him the ball, and he goes and gets six outs in game one of that series. Mm-hmm. Like, that's when you knew the Mets weren't messing around. No. And six. It was like, ooh, okay. Yeah. I, and I'm looking at his baseball savant page, just getting in. Like, even in 2019, like, yes, he, he gave up a couple homers, and they were in big spots. But a 5.59 ERA with a 3.23 expected ERA... And what about your expected batting average? And his expected batting average sub two hundred. Like yes, he gave up some barrels. He was a barrel finder. Everything put in play. It was like Josh Hader last year. Everything put in play was a hundred plus. It felt like fair, but he still punched out forty percent of the hitters he faced. And like even in that, like yes, and, and that's where the pressure cooker of New York starts to get to you. Is like. When you're sitting in there with your pitching coach or like, you know, like let's say you're having the conversation with Edwin Diaz, right? And this dude's like, I, I don't know what's going on. I walk a guy and give up a home run every time. Why am I doing that? Why am I doing that? And what would you say to him, Dan? Your expected ERA is three two three. State of the process, ground of the floor, let's keep working, let's keep doing what you're doing, let's just do fastball commands. Right. It's, we have to keep you confident. But when the media is flaming you, when fans are flaming you, when they're booing you. So if you're a process-oriented guy and those are the things you believe in, you know it's very hard to have tough enough skin to sit there and, and look at my savant page is Edwin Diaz and not let the media get in my head, right? So that first year, tough. But he's literally been, that was the only year in his career he's not top 5% in the league in expected ERA. Every year of his career, he's been top 5% in K percentage. Every year of his career, he's been top 5% in expected batting average. Every year in his career, except for 2019, he's been top 5 in MLB percentage-wise in expected slugging percentage. And he that year, he just happened to have the largest difference in WOBA and expected WOBA of 70 points of his career. So you talk about this dude has never left like, even the stuff's going nowhere, he's going nowhere. Right. It was just that tough stretch in 2019, like you said, where there's some out, out other factors involved, and, and he was just in a bad clubhouse and a toxic team and, and kind of everything that that was. But, I mean, he, he is – like, like this is better than prime Craig Kimbrell. Like, you know, when he was dominant, like, with these numbers, it's just unreal. Like, that, this is unreal. Yeah, and you, I mean, you, again, if you go back to when he was a Mariner, right, and he, and he had those seasons, you look at the, the numbers, or his numbers haven't changed if you look at his expected stuff. They really haven't. 19 again was the worst year, and he made some bad pitches. But the years after that, it, it was just dominant. Absolutely ridiculous stuff. Just through and through, and this year he's put it together, and Again, the vibes on that team and the manager makes a difference because that manager 
is a player's guy through and through, no BS. Player's guy. People love playing for him. Guys love playing for him. He's comfortable. He's matured. He gets it now. And again, it's just it's dominance. It's dominance, and, and just those three guys alone. I mean, you look at these guys' baseball savant pages, and everything's red, right? And, and you taught us a couple weeks ago that that, that means it's good. <laughs> when it's all red over there, that's pretty good thing. And those three guys alone, like when you when things get tighter in the playoffs, right? You shorten things up. Degrom, Scherzer, and Diaz can win you a playoff series. Yes. So the offense doesn't need to be. They don't need Juan Soto. They don't need Manny Machado. They don't need Nolan Arenado. They don't need Goldschmidt. Would they take those guys, of course. But they don't need that offensively because you have those guys who can do this. And the way they built the lineup and the defense they play, they're dynamic offensively. They do a lot of different things. They field the ball well. You know, they're a contender. They're a legit contender. They're the best team in the East right now. And they're one of the best teams in the National League. And again, if you look at the real contenders, to me, in the National League, there's three of them. And it's the Dodgers, the Mets, and the Braves still, I I think. Just because they won the World Series last year. Again, Mets fans, we've been doing a really good job of kissing your butts right now and and the team because they're playing great and they deserve it. But let's not forget that this was not a playoff series. This was not the World Series this last weekend. The team you just played won it last year. And I hate that excuse of, you know, when was the last time the Mets win a ring? Well, it doesn't matter. We're talking about this year. But a lot of those guys in that Braves dugout did win the World Series last year, so they're going to be just fine. And this this isn't going to ruin their season. I wouldn't expect the Braves to do anything else but go on a little run after this. Yeah. And I think just to, to build off that point you made is that this is a series in, in August. And, yes, the Braves didn't handle the atmosphere and the hostile environment and you could say all those things but from my perspective it buck managed that like it was his world series and he did that against the yankees he has a good pulse on that everything of that nature but snit to me it was like oh that's cute but we just won the world series like i'm not i'm not going to stretch yeah. out my relievers i'm not like like yeah. you know you can win four four out of five that's cool and like this doesn't mean i'm going to sit here and say the Braves are going to win in the playoffs right if they had to play no. the mets i'm not i think this mets team no. like you said they line up great you have three absolute horses who might be 1 2 3 in the world right now pitching but it's very hard to sit there and just not think like like you can act like this is a big series and it is it's a swing series but in October you could go 20 and 0 against 19 and 0 against the Braves and they could come take three right from on you real quick because that's a good lineup remember they didn't have Acuna when they won the World Series I mean Michael Harris is a lot better than Christian Pache Olsen yes is not as good as Freddie Freeman but he's still pretty darn good yeah, it's really. not that much of a drop off from Freddie Freeman. Dansby Swanson's having the best like year of his career. He's learning himself. Austin Riley is an MVP candidate. William Contreras is playing a full year, and you add in Spencer Strider, who's a Cy Young candidate. And like this is a team that's more talented than the team that won the World Series last year, no doubt about it. Right, and I think you're, and I think the way both 
teams manage it is exactly how they should have. For Buck, you didn't just win a World Series last year. This is a this is a, a team and a franchise who has a black cloud, what it seems like over them. So to go in there and say this is a huge series, this is the biggest series of the year to this point, and he managed it that way, I think was absolutely the right move. This is so, like so much momentum is going to be built off of this yeah. from the Mets side. And on the flip side, to your point, with Snit, like, okay, you won that series in August in New York. I'm not losing any sleep over it. We're a playoff team. We're true contenders. Shoot. He's probably even comfortable going into the thing as a wild card. Yeah. Because he trusts those guys and he trusts that team. And they've been there and they've done it. They just did it last year. So I think for him, that's the right way to manage it. And I definitely think that's what they were saying in that clubhouse. Because Spencer Strider yesterday after the game... The quote was, a lot of weird hits. They seem to be having a lot of luck right now offensively. That's great. It's August. We'll see what thing, what things are like in October. Um, and so, as a rookie, like I didn't love that comment no. from him. No. Not at all. Because it's like, okay, Spencer Strider, you've never pitched in October. Like the other guys said. But clearly, he's not just saying that on his own. No. Like I'm sure a lot of people were saying that in the clubhouse all weekend, including Snit maybe. Because it's like, guys, don't panic. Don't play any tighter than you need to. It's just a series in August. We'll, we're going to see them in October. I have full faith that we, we can handle our business the rest of the way. And I think that's smart. Again, I don't. I don't Strider didn't need to go out no, and say that exactly. publicly. Strider could have just, you know, and he'll learn. I think he's a rookie, and I think, again, he's frustrated. I get that. He's obviously very frustrated because he's a competitor and he wanted to win that game because they were getting their butts kicked. So he just, you know, he said the wrong thing. And, you know, I wouldn't want to give the Mets any more bulletin board material, especially after a series like that. But it happens. And, you know, I'm sure the veterans in the clubhouse were like, hey, you know, this is why you're wrong. And he'll never make that mistake again. Mm -hmm. But, again, I think both teams, you know, this was a huge statement for the Mets. But, again, I think the Braves are just fine. Yeah. I, I and, and, again, like, I think on paper, talent-wise, that Braves team is, like you said, just fine. And it just seems like, I mean, from a coaching perspective, that's exactly what I would be telling those guys. It's like, hey, we're focused on the process here, right? Like, you know, they're rolling right now. They got a good thing going up there. We're coming off a World Series. We're still finding our own. You know, we, we didn't come out of the gate. We kind of had a World Series hangover. We lost our heartbeat of this team. Like, let's just get hot in September, Right. Probably Dave Roberts says probably says the same thing to the Dodgers. Is like, hey, we just got to worry about getting hot in, in September, carry that in October, and then we'll go make a run for it, right? We don't need to win series in, in August. We don't need to treat this like a World Series. And you know, it just Strider making a rookie mistake. I mean, he's probably no, he's probably younger than the both of us at this point. Um, right. You know, for him to stand up there and say what was probably the post game conversation from that. Right is like yeah we got our teeth kicked in no big deal they had a little bit of luck on offense which did you watch that inning they did right right like yeah you're talking about infield single from Nimmo blue pit from Lindor ball, ball off, the, off bag the bag from Alonzo and sure Mark Canna struggling this year big base knock knock Strider out of the game yeah like that's a big hit but it's very hard to go blue blue. Pete's was hit hard, but bloop, bloop, barrel off the bag, bag. you know, kind of in baseball to the right, and that's probably fielded. Yeah, in the big leagues, with with positioning. Yeah, 
Yep. Right. He was there, and ball hits off the bag and goes over his head. So I, I think for me, it's interesting, though, just get into this real quick because um, I know you want to talk about this guy, but just the Mets lineup as a whole, how it's constructed, obviously it's working, and I think they've done a really good job constructing it. Like, right, it's so built around. I feel like it's a ton of athletes, and then they stick Alonzo in the middle of it, a bunch of guys who just – Nimmo, right? He, he ten pitch at bat and then rips a single to start that game off against Strider, who's just coming out pumping ninety nine in the first. And you know they have a bunch of athletes who put the ball in play a lot, and then you have Alonzo, who's your your thump. Which again, to your point earlier, why Vogelbach fits so well into that lineup is because now here's another guy with some thump that they can use um, to to pair with Alonzo because he's really the only guy that you're you're constantly concerned is going to leave the yard. Right, Lindor hasn't showed the 30-plus home run power since he left Cleveland, but what he's done is he's cut, he's cut down on strikeouts and he's he's put the ball in play, and I feel like that's kind of how they've yeah. constructed this lineup, and they did a good yeah, job and, doing and it. And so, yeah, Strider, it's frustrating, but that's kind of what the Mets do. No. And McNeil's no. fascinating to me because McNeil doesn't hit the ball hard. He just doesn't swing and miss. He does not hit the ball hard at all. So I think for him, like, sometimes these years happen with guys like that where, yeah, Call it luck if you want, but that's how baseball has always been. There's going to be, with guys who put the yeah. ball in play, there are going to be years where they're going to hit 220 and look terrible. That was last year for Jeff McNeil, right, and some of these guys. They had a terrible, they couldn't score runs because they still weren't striking out a ton, but their, their hits weren't falling. And this year, to me at least, and I'd kind of be interested to hear what you have to say about McNeil, but it's like he's he doesn't put the ball in play hard. He doesn't hit the ball in the barrel very often, but he's having a pretty good year. Yeah, I think I think when I look at it, and, and this is kind of just my perspective on high batting average guys, you know, like even the guys as good as Tim Anderson that seem to hit 300 every year, I just don't believe, and I, and I have a hard, I'm, I'm going to try to beat around this bush, but ultimately I might just go with what I'm thinking, I should say. And there's not a skill in batting average, right? There's nobody right. in this world that can hit it just genuinely place 98 no, with sync where people are not in the MLB today. So that's my point in saying there's not a skill in batting average. The skill that comes with batting average is finding consistent barrels and putting balls in play hard, right? That is the skill in batting average to me. And in the MLB today with positioning, most of those guys hit 260 with a lot of homers. Right, Those are the guys, and they tend to strike out, but they bind the barrel a lot with a lot of consistency and put balls in play hard. And, and when they stop striking out as much, they start to look like Bryce Harper. So in terms of Jeff McNeil, like he's having a great year. right? He's hitting it where they're not. and But it's very tough for me to put all my eggs in a basket of that guy because there is a element of luck. There's nothing lucky about putting balls in play 95 plus nothing lucky no. it's all process nope right even we talk about spencer strider's tough inning where he said they had some lucky hits right brandon nimmo 60 65 mile per hour single mm-hmm. francisco lindor 63 mile per hour single pete alonzo 80 mile per hour double right that is not how many like, doubles have like, been hit 80 miles an hour or lower this year on the ground Right. Nonetheless, right. Daniel Murphy always used to say every ground ball that went for a double, he always they always say he used to go. That's a seven percenter. Seven percent of the balls on the ground go for extra bases. Right. 
So <laughs> you're talking about 80 at negative one for a double luck, right? Spencer Strider, keep your mouth shut and go beat him next weekend when you pick a plan. But that's besides the point. So there is, it's very tough to do that, to rely on average and be an average guy when you don't do X well, right? But what do you give yourself the opportunity to do when you don't, you know, think of Brandon Nimmo, right? He doesn't swing at balls. So if you don't chase, McNeil's about 50 percentile in chase rate. So he definitely chases a little bit. But when you put barrels on balls and you only swing at strikes, you give yourself more of an opportunity to have success and hit for high average, which, like you said, that's what that's what Jeff McNeil's doing this year is being able to put the balls that he wants to swing at, he's putting them in play where people are not, right? Is there an element of luck to it? Yes. Is he overperforming a little bit? Yes, but... You know, in terms of having that skill set, that's what he's able to do really well. Well, and I think that's the, if if I'm a Mets fan, this is my one concern. And again, why going back to what I said about the trade deadline is there's my one concern. What happens if I get into a playoff series and McNeil tightens up a little bit and they stop falling for a series or the first two games of a series, now he's feeling the pressure and he starts to swing. That's where I would start to get concerned because you have a lot of guys like that and it can go cold. Now, it hasn't all year, right? So the reason that I'm optimistic about it is we're four months into this thing, and those things are, and the balls are still falling, and we're still not, we're not striking out a ton, and we're putting the ball in play, and whether it's 65 or 105, right now they seem to be hits. So that's why I'm confident in it, and that's why I'm, I'm happy with it. Again, I wouldn't put my eggs in that basket. That's why I, last year the offense struggled so bad. This offense isn't all that different. I think the, the addition of Marte has been huge. Lindor getting huge. comfortable has been huge for them. I think even the addition of, of, of Mark Canna, even though he's had a bad year, has been big for them. Like Eduardo Escobar has been huge for them because that's a pro hitter. So they've, they've made the lineup a little bit better. But again, like you said, I wouldn't consistently year over year put my eggs in the basket of, of Jeff McNeil and Brandon Nemo. I just wouldn't. And, you know... Hey, they they just got rid of JD Davis because he was on the other. That could very easily the move of Jeff JD Davis, who had a really good year last year, doing the same thing with the same bad at ball profiles, could have easily been them getting rid of Jeff McNeil if they weren't falling. Am I right? Is that a fair thing yeah. to say? Like, because yeah, if you look at it, right, what JD Davis had a really good year last year. He was one of the only consistent hitters. He couldn't stay on the field, but he was one of their only. You know, good and consistent hitters last year, and it's not like he was a guy who was hitting hitting a cover off the ball necessarily. He was having a lot of the same luck, batted ball luck, as McNeil is this year. So that easily could have been him. So why year over year I don't want to buy that stock is because of that it's the same thing sometimes with contact pitchers, right? Look at Kyle Gibson as an example off the top of my head. There's a ton of them. I mean, going back, like remember Julio Tehran or Jire Jurgens for the Braves. Two guys who had just shown flashes of just, like, really good numbers and were pitching in the All-Star game. And then, like, the second half would go horribly wrong. It's because they were getting batted ball luck. They didn't get swing and miss stuff. And I think that's also why we've trained guys to do that more and why you see more guys trying to hit for power and trying to strike people out more on the mound is because they aren't, there isn't luck in that. There isn't luck no. in punching tickets. There isn't luck no. in hitting the ball hard, like you said, right? That's no. a skill. 
If I can teach people how to do that, they're going to be better. And they stop punching out, they look like Bryce Harper was your point. That's why I think if people want to know, this was a good, you know, kind of look into why we thought Juan Soto was, why we think Juan Soto is so good, why people think Juan Soto is so good. Because the skills that they have, those guys have at the plate, Aaron Judge has figured it out this year, another great example of it, right? It's what Julio Rodriguez looks like, another guy that looks like he can do it. Those guys might not punch out a bunch. They put the ball in play harder than everybody. They find barrel more consistently than everybody. Those are the guys that you want to buy the stock in year over year. Those are the guys who you are going to, you know, are going to be in the league leaders every year. They're the ones that can carry you year over year into long postseason runs. The Braves have had a guy for years that they just let go to the Dodgers who does it every single year. And Freddie Freeman, right, doesn't punch, controls the barrel so well. The ball, no matter where it's pitched with Freddie Freeman, it seems like he always finds it. And even when he sometimes gets beat, he's so good with his bat that he's shooting singles the other way. The Mets don't have a lot of that. So that's where some of those negatives come in. And again, I want to just repeat what he says, Spencer Strider, keep your mouth shut because I wouldn't be shocked if next weekend we're having this this podcast at the start of the week talking about the Braves and what they just did to the Mets. Yeah, as long as they aren't motivated to go down. And, like, the Mets are playing, like, you know, like, we, we... we could probably do a whole podcast on this, but like 2020 Goldie Beacon Baseball, right? Dream season. Everything falls 21. for you. 2021. Sorry. Right. 2021. Mm-hmm. Everything falls for you. And guess what? Winning an offense is contagious. This is one of the things that bothers me when I'm you know, talking about building team offense, right? When I was in the position to build team offense, I would I would talk about building offensive identity. Right as a whole, and what people don't understand is everybody says, "Well, we don't have the horses to hit for power." Well, you know what is contagious? Offense. I've seen kids Correct. go on bonkers years just because they're hitting in a lineup that six guys are stretching the wall, right? And then being able to carry that dream season. But the other thing is about having a dream season is that luck runs out. Right, when you run into a buzzsaw that's playing their best baseball in October, you know, say the Padres get their rotation figured out with that lineup, the Dodgers comes back. The Dodgers be who they are. Degrom or Scherzer is the best record in baseball. Yeah, God forbid one of those aces go down that the Mets have, and you're relying on that lineup. That again, like I'm not saying it's lucky because it's a skill. Credit to Billy Epler because every move he's made has seemed to be calculated, right? Brandon mm-hmm. Nimmo at the top. Let's go get Marte. Contact guy with a little bit of power. Steal some bases. He will be in scoring defense. position every day. Francisco Lindor, he's going to start to come around, play really good defense. we got to tap into that power, get him to be the all-around hitter, right? We have our three-hitter being the all-around best hitter. Pete Alonso, he's hitting four to drive all them in. On-base guys in front of him, driving those runs in. He's going to lead the majors. Let's follow him up with somebody that inflicts a little bit of fear in their pitcher. Daniel Vogelbach, he might not be the the high average hitter that we think that other our other guys are, but guess what? He's going to challenge the pole. He's going to hit balls and play hard. He's going to get on base. He's not going to swing at balls. We're going to follow him up with the annoying guy in the on-deck circle that the pitcher's like, I really got to face this guy, and then I'm going to pitch around him, and that person's going to take a 13-pitch AB and then run full speed down to first base like all those weirdos do with the Mets. Like, And 
when Jeff McNeil and, and that guy and like then you go get Tyler Naquin who shows a ton of power and hits righties really well and then you just be able to like one through seven like you don't even have to put a name over that and it's like on base guy bat to right. ball guy who can steal bases all around hitter in the three spot power guy who can drive in runs big power guy power only guy in the five hole and that's what Billy Epler's done I don't know if he's been able to see into the future I don't know if he planned every move to work out the way that it has but the way their lineup is constructed we talk about the fit with the Yankees why Ben Intendi is a fit and it's that exact thing how do we get lineup continuity where we're not just one whole everybody's the same Right, and that's one of the yep. things that analytics forgets is that pulse of alignment. Right, like yeah. just being able to stack right. good at bats. Well, and, and you said the contagiousness, right? And it, it, it's going to happen. These are these are people, and the thing that analytics falls down on, they're very useful. And the thing that sometimes falls down on is the fact that you don't know how the, the team is going to mesh together because they are people. And this Mets team, clearly, and I think Buck Showalter deserves the credit for this, is. Buck Walter's not just, it's clear that he's not just writing the lineup every day. Because to your point, this is a carefully constructed team that if you just wrote the lineup card and threw him out there every day, I don't think it would be working. But he's got that clubhouse in a place and credit to their leaders as well, where they enjoy playing together. It's contagious right now. They're having fun. Again, you made a reference that no one else will understand, but that 2021 Gordy Beacon team where right, like it was a group of people who really enjoyed being together every single day. And... That, that can run out, though, sometimes. That can run out because sometimes the talent, if you run into a buzzsaw, like you said, in October in the postseason, and that can happen, and it could happen to the Mets, but right now the way they've positioned themselves, everyone within that organization right now deserves a lot of, a lot, a lot of credit, and they've done a really good job, and you know that's why they've positioned themselves the way they have. And I, you know, I don't know if they're going to win these, but I would say – after this weekend, they look like they're going to. Again, we could be having this conversation next week, and I could say the, the opposite cause the Braves are still really good. And you never know what's going to happen in the playoffs, and that's what makes it fun. But mm-hmm. credit to them where it's due. Um, just looking around the league real here, let's wrap up. Uh, looking around the league the rest of the week, you know, the, the Yankees are, are scuffling a little bit. They got swept in St. Louis over the weekend, which a huge statement by the Cardinals. They're, they're visiting Seattle. Um, Dodgers, who just swept the Padres, which was a big series, and the Dodgers, who was like cute toys that you got at the deadline, um, were good. Uh, they swept the Padres. They're hosting the Twins, who's a first-place team. People forget that. Um, and the Padres would need to bounce back against the Giants, who are, I don't know, they feel like they're dying to me. And so for them, mm-hmm. that's a huge series. Um, so a lot of good baseball to look for the rest of this week. Be excited to talk, you know, see what happens this week, and we'll get you ready for the weekend. Any last thoughts? No, I, I mean, obviously the Yankees are scuffling, but like you said, big series for the cards. Uh, I think that that team has a little bit of it that we're talking about with the, mm-hmm. with the Mets, and to a lesser extent because they're in the Midwest and, and people don't talk to them, talk about them as much. But, you know, that was a big series for them to go out there. Tyler O'Neill hasn't even gotten going. Um, and he's a really good ball player for them. And, you know, from the Dodgers' standpoint, I mean, <laughs> I mean, just like casual. I mean, they it's didn't even. casual. They, they didn't <laughs> casual. have, like, to put. They didn't throw Clayton Kershaw, 
Walker mm-hmm. Bueller. Mm-hmm. Julio Rios. Did he throw this weekend? No. I don't believe Two so. Two of the three games Dustin were May. Tyler Anderson and Andrew Heaney. Mm-hmm. And they went and into, Tyler Anderson is like bat like he, he's in the Cy Young conversation. Tyler Anderson, yeah, and and Andrew. I feel Heaney like punching out too. Think about there. think about the the pitchers on the IL for the Dodgers. Kershaw's now on the IL with the back. Bueller's on the IL. Dustin May hasn't thrown a pitch in what feels like forever. He looked like he was going to be a young ace coming up. Uh, Bruce Dark Gratterall's on the IL. I mean, they're Blake ridiculous. Turner. And the Cardinals, I agree. I mean, the Cardinals. The trade for Jordan Montgomery, you know, he goes out there and throws five shutout against the Yankees. That had to feel so good for him because the Yankees yeah. never really wanted to, to believe in him to go out and do that. And the trade for him, it's like, because it, to me, looks like Dylan, like we don't need Harrison Bader. Dylan Carlson, the glove, he's starting to get comfortable with the plate. The Cardinals mm-hmm. definitely have some of that. Factor, and then you got those two guys that hit in the middle of their <laughs> I mean, yeah. Arenado with a huge three-run bomb yesterday off, off Montas. I mean, that was a big series for them. Um, so, you, we could do a whole podcast on the Cardinals because I really like what they have going on. Yeah. They're now in first place. And the Brewers, they haven't won since they traded Josh Hader. We were kind of saluting them for that move. Right now, it just, you know, it's too soon to tell. Don't get me wrong. But they were, they were, I believe, three games up at the deadline when they made the, the trade of Hader. They haven't won a game since. The Cardinals have won every game since the deadline, and now the Brewers find themselves out of the playoffs picture, right? They're two games yeah. behind the Cardinals in the division. They're two games behind the Phillies in the wild card. And actually, they're a game and a half, I guess, behind the last wild card because the Phillies moved ahead of the Padres this weekend. So, I mean, this time of year is the best. It's fun. Yeah. It's going to get fun, and, and, and it's going to be interesting to see what these teams keep going. Yeah. I think when you look at the Brewers, Devin Williams was like, Distraught when he uh, right. was traded, right? Like Which again, like on paper, good move, right? We sense. saluted it, yeah. but these are people; they're people, and that interview was hard to watch. Hard to watch, you know. You can tell it was a friend, and, and he's taking his licks. I think he's going to get going, and he'll he'll be okay um, once he gets. Just I think he's more just frustrated over the whole thing. Like he, I'm right. sure he's like, why am I pitching the ninth more than? Right. You know, it's time to. It's my job. Like, it's not like he was like wanting them to get rid of him so he can start getting right. saves. He was very comfortable in the eighth inning. So, I mean, he's one of the best pitchers in baseball for a reason. He'll be back to that. There's no doubt about that. So, but that, I mean, he had a couple rough outings this weekend, and and it's, and tough it's not to see for that. They got the Rays, and now they got the Rays coming to town. Yeah, that's tough. Is, is Cody tough. Bellinger um, and Max Muncie getting going? Well, that's tune in next time. We'll find out. <laughs> same time, same channel. We'll find out. We'll figure it out. I mean, Bellinger had two bombs last night on Sunday Night Baseball. Oppo. That's a good sign. Oppo. It's a good sign. It's a good sign. He's a um, lost man. Make sure you like, share, subscribe. Do it all. It's been episode four. We'll see you guys later this week.